This podcast brought to you by Audible.com. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash B-A-D-B and get your free audio download now. Go to ballcancersucks.com, read the webpage, get a shirt, support the cause, cocksuckers, and go to the doctor and check your nuts. It's a beautiful day to be alive here in the fucking heat, but it's also something else is happening here. Today. I know. We're back, bitches. It's a hundredth <laughs> motherfucking episode, Felicia. Mike. I know. Stop giggling at me with those eyes. I Cock can't sucker. even believe a hundred fucking episodes. Fucking episodes. At hundred and four, we got two fucking years under our belt, cocksuckers. Oh and it's my all because God. of you, motherfuckers. Remember when we first did it? We had like a little recorder, like a like an eighty dollar little recorder, and we used to just sit for like a month and practice and, and just talk, talk to shit. each other and whatever. And then we went to Guitar Center and buying all the equipment and. You and I at Guitar Center is the most ridiculous site on the fucking planet, by the way. Fuck it, we did it. And you know what, man? I'm happy we went to San Francisco. Uh-huh. And I'm happy we went to Sacramento together. It was like us just going to see what was going on. And in two years, I can't believe that all you people are still listening. Or we have new listeners or people that come back, but you're still here. And I appreciate you, myself and Felicia, from the bottom of our fucking hearts. Absolutely. Because uh, you don't understand it. It's a, re- it's a fucking... It's tough out there for a pimp, and you motherfuckers hang on. And every week we try our best here, and we talk shit, and we tell stories, and yeah, no, it's the awesome. And you you know, come to the shows, and you know. When you understand, like uh, I, uh, I can't remember if I spoke about this last week on the podcast, uh, but uh, you don't realize when you're just telling a story about, yeah, I was in an accident, and my one foot didn't grow as big as the other foot, and the other foot's my work foot, and then you just move on with your life, and you take the kids and do your daily thing, and go on the road, and hang out with Joey Diaz, and do spots, and then you go to San Francisco, and a guy comes up with a camera and starts taking taking pictures of my feet and he's like I swear to God Joey like a DSLR camera and he's like yeah yeah and now the work foot let me take a picture of the work foot can you imagine he's whacking off on your work foot as we speak right no, now no he was very sweet about it but then he sure. put it on I my listen, Facebook I and I was like how fucking mm. sweet he is he's still gonna whack off on your feet you yeah. know what I'm saying what are you gonna do I should do my uh, work foot the picture of my work foot as my Facebook page as my Facebook profile picture that's, that's what a, I should when do when I first heard you tell that story I died a laugh because you call it your work foot. Like it's the it's the foot you lean on when you're shaking that ass or whatever. It's your work foot. <laughs> if I got to you know wedge myself that, between the bed and the wall to get that position. Foot. I don't have a work foot. The, I have nothing. A work foot comes in handy. <laughs> oh, it always does a swift kick in the fucking ass. A hundred goddamn Can episodes. you believe that? What are you going to do? I know. What and the then, fuck are you going to do? And then when we were around uh, episode number 10 thinking, wow, how crazy is that going to be when we hit 25? You know, like it keeps uh, uh, anteing up. It's awesome. It's amazing. It's been amazing because it's like going to psychiatry. Like you just talk shit every fucking week and we come here and we talk and, you know, I go home a week later and listen to the podcast. And, you know, it's funny when you're doing the podcast, you learn something and when you're listening to them you learn something. True. And uh, if, if we're learning this about ourselves, that's why you can't be surprised when people come up to us. You know, for years, the last two years, I kept saying that every three months, some guy comes up to me at the end of the night and out of his jacket comes a, a covered up Playboy magazine that's unspermed on, like the good ones, like somebody took care of it. And he always, <laughs> they always go. They save it for that special ejaculation. <laughs> it's weird because they always say, is Felicia here with you? And this will be like a Rogan show, like a UFC show. And somebody will come up to me and go, I want her to sign my Playboy. And I remember calling you sometimes, and you're like, what? And finally, in San Francisco, some guy came up to you 
with the Playboy. And to me, Sergio, that was, that was one of the biggest days of my life on this podcast because I, I've seen it come full circle. Uh-huh. You didn't. I didn't see, you Not know. Not to that effect. And by the way, there was an article yesterday in Variety about the Duncan Trussell Family podcast. Hour, all about the power of the podcast and trying to figure out, you know, what direction to take things. And But it was really interesting because in it he's talking about people really come out to support you as a person when they come see your show, if they hear you from the podcast. And it's like, you know, seeing that in San Francisco was like, whoa, this is a whole different different level of of uh of you know communication it's, it's you know it's really wild that when somebody's mother dies now whether on twitter or on facebook they always send me a note and that means more to me than anything because we've connected yeah this morning i had one on twitter where a guy said hey you made me laugh for the first time in seven days my mom passed a cancer the last seven days and he goes throughout the funeral i thought of you you know, because we know we connect by pain. And I always told you that. Mm-hmm. That our connection in his life, yeah, laughter is great. But when you talk about pain, people always cop to that. You know, not everybody went on a roller coaster, but everybody's lost somebody. Well, everyone's, yeah. Not everybody's been on to Europe. Stuff, yeah. But everybody's lost somebody. Yeah. And, uh, you know, whether it's a cat. I mean, people yeah. fucking contact me when they lose a cat. Hey, man, my cat died today. And I feel so bad. A part of me is like giggles, but the other part of me is like, I understand. If I lost a cat, yeah. I want, you know, uh, when we discussed about me having the baby, you were like, don't tell nobody real quick, you know. I wanted to make it special for them. Yeah. And now everybody fucking hits me back with, hey, man, my wife just had a baby. It's going to be special for yeah. you. We're yeah. connecting. And we're yeah. not connecting on a stupid joke. And when I do crack a joke that's kind of like off color, they understand it's just Joey. We're back, bitches. And as our 100th fucking episode, Felicia and I thought we'd give you a great fucking treat. We got a great guest in the studio today. Uh, this guy is uh, 30% of why I'm here. Because when I seen him, I thought I could do it. Let's keep it going for Mr. Stephen fucking Woo. Bauer here. What's he going to do, bro? She just doesn't, you know... Now, what's the sequel they were talking about? No sequel. Something that she did do something. A game. She did do something. No, they, she's done other movies. I mean, Michelle, she, no, but 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 no, she won't do anything about Scar. She's not. She's not really interested in Scarface. It's something that I don't know. Maybe it's just a bad period in her life or something, or she's just not down with what the whole movie represents. What, what it represents, or what or what it turned out to be, what it turned out to influence. You know. All the things that go with it, she she went in, in a path that's co- so contrary to that that she can't even be nice about it, like be polite or diplomatic and say, yeah, I, I, I you know I understand that the work in it was good or so. She's just so down on it, you know. It was really weird because she was so good. When something's just so perfect, you just don't no. She touch didn't think it, it again? was perfect. She thought it was. She thought it was. She didn't like what it was about, and she doesn't like being associated with it. See, because of what it turned out to be. See, we're, we're most of us are okay living with the fact that the, uh, we're not intending it. We didn't intend it to influence a generation of drug dealers, or of people who are interested in crime or are attracted to crime. We didn't do it for that. You know, it happened to have that re- re- effect. It's also had many different other effects 
on society and on subsequent generations. But she just doesn't, she's just not down with the fact that it, that it did that and that she was part of it. So she doesn't want to take any credit because most of the people who want to talk about Scarface are in fact talking up, lauding it. They're really celebrating the fact that, hey, years later, <laughs> you got a serious movie, you know, serious, uh, you know, affecti affecting movie on society and on, on, on society since then, you know. And, and it's had the last laugh, really. The, you know, the, 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 those of us who, who are part of it really have had the last laugh because as much as it was, as much as it was uh, maligned and, uh, and shunned in, in its time when it was released, it's had a, a much larger positive response now in, in recent years. So she doesn't really, I understand. It's just like, she's like, she knows people are going to say, so what do you think? Huh? Huh? How do you feel about Scarface now? And she's going to go, I still feel it. I still feel it's a really, really gross and, uh, you know, ugly depiction of, you know. Now, how she's was not, she when the movie was first released? Did she when feel she the was same first, way? She, I, don't, I don't ever remember her being really excited about it. She was, and and actually doing the film, she was always like a like a very, very terrified, you know, animal, you know wounded animal and uh, there were circumstances in her life obviously they were not great you know I knew her a little bit and I knew that her life was not ha you know happy it was not joyful and I know that the that even though the role was was a great opportunity and a great role and she did a great job you know in it she's very very brave in it she very very she take she's very she really holds her own but it took a lot to get there and she had a you know she had a coach she had a she was working with a very famous coach at the time Peggy Fury and I remember that she was really you know she was on the phone with her or you know you know always connected to this person because she was virtually alone on the set because it was a man's movie world. Right. yeah it was a man's world that we were in and it was a boy's world you know, not to not to say that Al and I were part of that world. There was a, there was that whole world in it, in it within the the film, the filmmakers. There was a, a certain clique, and the crew itself. The crew was very very rambunctious and very excited. And they loved it. They were way ahead of the game. They were like, "This is the coolest movie that's ever going to be," and we're part of it. The crew, on the set, they were having a blast. You know, they loved it, and. Uh, but but Al and I had another world. It was Manny. It was it was Tony and Manny's world, separate from everybody the whole else. Movie, sure, from guys. the whole people, you know. <laughs> so she could never, because she's the outsider to that to that world. In fact, I remember that you know, in spite of, regardless of of how much. They had to have chemistry, you know, was implied in the, in the thing. There has to be something there, some connection for him to eventually, you know, well, he feels it anyway. She feels it, but she, she's, she's repelled by it. She's repulsed by it, too. You know, not until he lit virtually, you know, literally possesses her by virtue of, of disposing of her partner, of her man, 
you know, then he possesses her. She has nowhere else to go. So that's what that's how she was basically. It was just like I'm here because because I have to be. Because I have no other options. And it sucks, <laughs> you know? And I, I always felt that. I felt really, I felt a, a lot of empathy, you know, with her. I felt for her. And when I watched the movie always in, you know, in recent years, I, I'm always very moved by her performance because I remember how, how, uh, how vulnerable and how alone she was, you know? And um, it's interesting. I mean, it's really interesting. So it, it's, it's not surprising. Now, that know. was an interesting movie for you guys from the beginning because the movie started shooting in Miami. Yeah. And in, in, in production in Miami, you had to pick up and go to L.A. It was going to, yeah. You it was going to. to start production in Miami. We never got a shot. We never had a shot to start. They, I don't know if they even looked at locations. They probably did do that. They probably had an advanced team that was, that was doing that. But when, you know, when we were cast and we were gonna start rehearsals you know we started rehearsals and there was already we already were hearing oh geez we can't go we can't go to Miami there's a hitch there's a problem and we're like oh and I was I was like I just got like the greatest role in your life right you know in a big movie and this big movie's not gonna happen you know it really it looked that way the first few weeks looked looked like they might have to cancel the movie. I was like, I can't believe it. <laughs> what, what are the chances that I'm gonna get a second lead in a, in a big movie, you know, in another movie? If this one goes in the toilet, if this one gets canceled and wiped out, everybody go home. What are, you know, it's like, God, I almost got started. <laughs> it's know? amazing when you watch the movie and you think a lot, like I never knew the mother's house was right by the airport. Yeah, yeah, we used to. The mother's to, house was right by the fucking here, airport. It's right. off of, of off La, La Brea or something there. You know, I don't know, now the pool shot is Miami or here? Yeah, the pool, the pool, the, well the pool, the pool at the, at, uh, at Frank's house is B.B. Rebozo's house on, B.B. Uh, B. B. Rebozo's old house, I think they've torn it down since or not, it, it's, it's the house with the elevator that was next to it's the house next to B.B. Rebozo's house. Nixon's friend, Rebozo, was a Cuban, uh, you know, he, he raised money for, for Nixon and everything. And, they, and he lived on, on Key Biscayne, and he had that house with the wall on the water. And that's Frank's, Frank Lopez's house. And so the outside is the pool where he goes to see her when, when Frank's out, you know, and he goes, kids, you like kids? Kids, little kids, you know. And she goes, kids? You know, yeah, if there's a nurse, <laughs> you know. And he goes, oh, come on. First time I saw you, I said to myself, she's a tiger. She's just like me. <laughs> and then, and uh, that house was, was obviously Key Biscayne. But it's interesting because instead of using the house itself, the location, they wanted something more... She's more, I don't know, more grandiose. visual, grandiose the, as an, for the entrance, the entrance to the house. So when you see that we do the, the, the thing and the, the thing goes down in Miami Beach, the, the first gig, the first shootout, you know, and then we get together with, uh, with uh, Omar and he's in the car with us 
and he gets out first and kind of pushes past us and he, we're going up right, some right, stairs right, into the thing um, that's supposed to be that's supposed to be Frank Lopez's house and it's it's actually the entrance to the lobby of the building on Brickle remember the first building on Brickle the one with a hole in it yeah oh my god yes that one, the one that's with, what that's happened it. to that that's building what, it's still there it's still there with the yeah, hole it's still there, there. And uh, and so that's the that's the facade. Supposedly, that's where we're going to Frank Lopez's house. And then we're inside. We're inside the house with the elevator. And that is that house. But why didn't they use a normal entrance like a house? You know, they love that that facade of like pulling up to a building. So what are we supposed to think? It's a building, but it's a house. I don't know. It's one of those things. And then and then the club. The club, the Babylon, um, the facade, the out, the outside of it is a club in Fort Lauderdale that was called, that was called um, something. It was supposed to be the the uh, the. Uh, it was supposed to be the mutiny. The club was the mutiny. It was based on the mutiny. That's what Oliver Stone. That's where he hung out with all the bad guys. <laughs> And where he had the uh, the ideas, the ideas of the thing, and so the mutiny was in Coconut Grove, and it was a really, it was a, it really was, it was in a big, it was in a tall building, uh, a condo, and it was like the second or third floor, and it was, and it was open like this, open, and it was a disco, supper club also, you know, and so, and that was where all the bad guys hung out in seventy eight, seventy nine, eighty, eighty one, eighty two, you know, and then so. So that what the mutiny became the Babylon, the Babylon, and so the Babylon, the facade is the outdoor and the parking lot in uh, in Fort Lauderdale of that place, and I think it was called Honey for the Bears or something. It was this stupid, you know, disco in Fort Lauderdale, and uh, remember, and then there's a scene where he later on where he where he shoots the guys where they they attack him. They try to assassinate him, and he shoots him, and then he runs outside, and it's pouring down rain. He runs, he jumps in his car. Yeah, yeah, pouring down rain. It's the thing, and the lights go up. The lights come. Yeah, and so that's that's the Babylon, but the inside is stage twenty-two, I think it was at Universal, where they built that freaking club, that whole that 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 club with all the mirrors. The mirrors, right? Yeah, and and. And um, had the beautiful design for the camera, you know, between him and and um, and the cameraman. Um, his name he passed away. Um, you know, you uh, and I'm sorry if any of these questions come across as ignorant, oh. but I have like a million of them. Like you talked about, perhaps what it took for Michelle to make that uh, performance. What did it take from you to make that performance? You know, like. Well, like it must have changed you tremendously as a person. It did. It did actually. Um, it did. It, it was a for me. It was a sort of a, a growing up period. Um, not that I came out of it any more mature, you know, as the years, you know, you know, after that would prove. <laughs> I didn't really mature that much, but I did grow up by 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 virtue of of, of getting the role and doing it. And certainly, and certainly as an artist, you know, and certainly creatively, I, 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 I did mature, I did grow up, I did, there was a learning curve that was, that was tremendous for me just that year that I did Scarface. 
because I went from somebody who was in class, you know, and and doing a lot of theater, and then and then to to, to being uh, to doing Que Pasa USA, um, which was live basically, you know, and a great and it was, fucking show, and it was, th- it was show, three, three camera sitcom. So I could have come out here and done from Miami after the Kickoffs of USA. And they, they, what was predicted was that I would get a show, that I would get a show, like Kickoffs of USA, but an, Ameri- an, English, an English-speaking show, and I would, do, I would have a comedy show. But that didn't happen because they didn't find, they couldn't stick me in something. Did They sign me right away, Columbia Television signed me to do, to develop a show for me. You know, my third day here, I went on an appointment and it was with the head of casting at Columbia and he said, we've seen Que Pasa USA, I've seen Que Pasa USA and I think you could, you could, you could be the lead in a, in a TV show. And I was like, maybe, yeah, I think, yeah, I think I can. And he called my agents before I got there and they already, and they said, You're, you have a contract offer from Columbia you know, Pictures to develop a TV show on and your I, third day in California. How on my third day in you? LA, 22. Twenty-one. At that point, no, I was twenty. Did you have any idea what you wanted specifically to do? To do, yeah, I wanted to do. I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to be Burt Lancaster, Montgomery Cliff, you know, Marlon Brando, (laughs) (laughs) Jimmy Dean. You don't want to be John Ritter? Is that what you're trying to say? (laughs) No, I wanted to be. I wanted to make great movies. You know, uh, the question I really wanted to ask you because what I was living in Colorado, all right, in '83. And I get off a fucking plane in New Jersey. And I'm not kidding you. My friends pick me up at Newark and they go, I go, what do you want to go do? I want to go pick up a gram of blow. You want to go pick up an eight ball, a couple of quaaludes. And half of them in the car said, before we pick up anything, we're going to go take you to see Scarface. Because I hadn't seen it yet. It had uh-huh. come out in limited release. It had only come out in New York and California or something. That's in the true. beginning That's true. for the first it month. Opened, yeah. I'm on a plane. I'm in Colorado watching commercials for this fucking I didn't know it was about Cubans. I didn't know what it was about. Wow. I get off the plane, all these Italian kids are like, no, you're not going to Rudy's, you're not going home, you're not putting flowers at your mother's grave. And I remember going to Sea Caucus. This was the third week it was out. I remember going to Sea Caucus in the matinee, and we had to sit separate. That's how packed the fucking movie was. Really? We had to sit separate. And my friend on the drive in Pericao, he had the whistle. He'd never seen the movie before, but he had that that they play in fucking the movie when they're at the bar. They go, Voo, with this whistle. Oh, yeah. And he kept going, Voo, and we kept going, Veneer, we're going to fucking kill you with that whistle. <laughs> when they did that whistle in Scarface, we were, Veneer, where the fuck were we going to kill him? But the first 20 minutes of that movie, I just sat there frozen because I'm Cuban-American. My parents came from Cuba, but at first they had to sell heroin, then they got into numbers, then they bought the businesses, and then after my father died, my mom still tagged around with cocaine, and when they closed the bar in 79, it was basically because cocaine was taken over. They killed a Cuban cop in 76 wow. in Union City, a guy that was shaking down Cubans. And you don't shake down a Cuban when you're a Cuban. Wow. And they fucking put a hit on this motherfucker. They shot him a thousand times at a place called Rapido Taxi. It was a Cuban taxi stand in, in, in Union City on 48th Street. And shit. Rapido Taxi used to deliver cocaine. They never even took a call. You could call that fucking number all night and get a cab. <laughs> Fuck you. That was the name of the company, Rapido. You know what Rapido means? Wow. Fast, yeah, yeah, quick, yeah. motherfucker. Quick. They were on what, 48 was Street. This was 76. This Cuban cop with long hair and a beard started shaking down Cubans. They were doing cocaine in 76? No, no, no. They weren't doing oh, nothing. <laughs> you know, I grew up, like I said, I used to go to Miami. My my grandf- my godfather owned the falls. And at night he'd go, when the kids were sleeping, he'd go, um, and we'd go to La Vaquita. 
and we'd get a beer, a cold beer, and he'd get me a, a milk, and we'd go to his boat, and he'd take his boat in 74 and 73 when I was 10 or 11, and we'd go out to the ocean, and he'd take up bales, and we'd go back to his warehouse, and he'd say, don't say nothing to my wife. And don't he say was nothing picking to up mom. stuff? He would, bro, and then we would have blenders in his house where he would put weed together. They were doing blow. They were doing everything. When you seen this, when you were part of this movie the first time, wow. you living in Miami because you were there, you seen the beginnings of the drug. Yeah. You know, now everybody's in LA. Oh, my God, weed's taking over. We seen cocaine do that. Because I remember Barrio Nietzsche, they were just selling weed down by Highlight on there in Miami. And all of a sudden, you grew up in it. You seen it. How, as a Cuban American, what well, did you feel like when you well, first seen of, that I'm fucking kind of, movie? I'm a little embarrassed to say that I, I hadn't really seen it because I was really, you know, in 74, I was 17 years old. I was in high school. I, I still didn't know about anything, but, you know, I didn't, you know, my first few beers, I didn't really handle them well. And, uh, and, and my first, and the one semester that I smoked, smoked weed with, with my older brother, because uh, I didn't really do well in school. So I, I didn't really... Know that I, world. I didn't know that world, and I didn't gravitate towards it. I was, you know, I was sort of like, I wanted to be an athlete. I wanted to, to, to do sports. But I went to the theater as soon as I hit junior college. And that's when I... Suddenly I went to the theater, and theater really became my world. And so I missed the, the, the bars and the clubs and all that stuff because I lived in the theater for three years. So those are my formative years, 17, 18, 19, 20. And then maybe I saw some cocaine because I worked at the airport loading planes with my brother for, during Christmas. And there were some, some South American guys who had this stuff, you know. But that was it. I mean, I maybe, maybe tried it. I didn't even remember. I, I go to L.A. and I had a girlfriend that did it. And that's it. I mean, I didn't meet, you know, any. I, I didn't hang with, you know, anybody that did it. So when I go to when I my only contact really was because I suddenly in in eighty or so I went I I I started doing better roles like in TV and television after 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 capacity you say after the contract with Columbia. And, uh, see for hearts like a motherfucker. But later, but later this later. <laughs> I but seen later. that with a double feature with Office and a Gentleman in Harlem. Office and a Gentleman, yeah. <laughs> I almost got Office and a Gentleman. I, got, bro, I, almost got, I, almost got, I mean, I almost, I almost got cast in that. But, see, but, but the thing was that, that I was, I hadn't done a feature yet, but I did this, this TV movie. I met Melanie. And once I met Melanie Griffith and, I, and, I, and it, her, her set, her generation, they were doing. They were getting. <laughs> I didn't say she was. I just. But that that was. It was par for the course, and and that was for me like this. Boing. I was like, what? What? Like everybody? Like everybody's doing it? And I thought. I think I did this back in Miami, back in some. You know, but that was it. So I was like, I was a virgin. You know, I was like a, a you know a saint. I was a greenhorn, and I and they looked at me that way. They were like, what? You don't, you know. And so I was catching on slowly, and then suddenly we moved to New York, and then I got Scarface. So when I got Scarface, the role is, like you said, did it cost me? Did it cost me? What did it, what did it take for me to get there? Mm -hmm. Well, it took me a lot because all I could do was like imagine what those guys were like. Like I'd met one or two, 
And luckily, we, had, we were afforded the opportunity to meet some guys who had left, who had been through the horrors of, of prison in Cuba, who had sold cocaine in Miami, who had, who, who had been arrested, who were doing time. We were afforded the opportunity to talk to them. And that's where I got a lot of the education in a hurry. You know, other than that, all I could say was, oh, yeah, I used cocaine, you know, a couple, I used it, you know. I started using it last year, you know, periodically, recreationally, but, you know, I, I didn't know shit, you know. I was really, really green about that. So I didn't know that. I'd never seen that scene. Later I was. Later I was able, I was catapulted into that. After the movie, that world became really up in my face. It was everywhere. Because it was everywhere. everywhere. Because, they, because the assumption was, I'm part of that. You're part of that. She's so, you know, I mean, you made that mistake right now. You thought you saw that. You, you no, you, I thought you grew up in fucking Miami. Yeah, in the 80s. I did. It. I remember when the I went to Miami is, in '84. My uncle's like, but I was my gone. godfather's I was like, gone. my godfather's like, Ochoa has the house next door. And this is in the falls. Yeah, the whole block. Everybody was out there drawing, riding their bicycles. You know, I remember going to Miami in '84 <laughs> because in '79, in '79, my uncle. They pinned the crime on him from the 60s in California. Wow. So he lost the house, the five properties, monkey jungle. He <laughs> lost that binga, right? So they had to move to Atlanta. So after my mother died, I said, no, nah, I didn't have contact with him. And one day I was eating at a Cuban restaurant. Some guy said, he goes, you know, Rodolfo's out. He wants to see you. So I went down to Miami to see him after all those years. Wow. And Miami had changed. Yeah. And I remember my cousins, my cousins who were in Catholic school in Miami, all of them were beautiful. I remember them picking me up at the airport going, Let's go get a package. And I'm wow. like, what? And they took me to right by uh, Ochicobi Island, Ochilobi. Lake uh, Okeechobee. Okeechobee. They took me to a trailer. The guy was 68, 70. Yeah. He had a girl in the bed, Felicia, that was probably 23, and he had one of those things. <laughs> he knocked on the door. El viejo salió para la puerta. Get get it? Un paquete. Come in. I'll never forget what he said to me. I sat down, and he goes, tocate. Which means touch yeah, yourself. Yeah. Want to touch? Means, and I go, yeah. I'm fucking 24. I'm 21. Yeah. And I'm like, this guy, I thought that young kids sold this. Yeah. But no. in Miami in the 80s, no, everybody no, got into business. Guys. Yeah. I don't everybody know. said, fuck it, we're on disability. And, uh, yeah. and I said to him, I said, no, 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 don't got that doing. I said to him, no, I'm okay. He goes, yeah. you do it. And he goes, Yo me estoy tocando la tarde entera. I mean, yeah, I've been yeah, touching I mean, myself all worry, fucking day. Worry, he had a little 20 year old in there in a hut, in a trailer. They had it everywhere. Yeah. You went for a gram in 84, yeah. and they just give you, open your hands. Open your hand. What paper? Get your fucking hands out. Here, take it. I don't give, I got no fucking paper. Take it. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah, yeah. Everybody had it. Everybody fucking had it. Yeah, yeah. It's, so it's if you're down there, you know, the Pelican Club and Coconut Grove, I'm going to go on there with my cousin. Remember they had the pink t-shirts with the ducks? Yeah. It was fucking everywhere. Yeah. And what, that's why when I watch people say to me, what do you think about cocaine Conway? You know what? I got to tell you something, bro. In the 70s, I was seeing that already in Union City. Because yeah. when my mom died in 79, she was already holding shit downstairs in the basement for people that would drop stuff off. And oh I would steal God. something. My mom would come up and go. See, I was completely... I was my completely mom would say to me, I don't know, something's weird. That weed keeps disappearing. And then they started, because at first it was weed, then it became coke. But you yeah. you weren't in that culture. As a Cuban, when I, I first it. went to see it, I was blown the fuck away. Yeah. I was like, how do they know about this and, shit? And here's the other... Here's, dig this. Here's the other thing, the, the, you know. And uh, Al... So when we met, when they went, see the, the director and, and, and producer, Brian Palma and, and Bregman, basically ch they chose me, like from day one, the first time they saw me. 
And then I had to go through the audition process because they couldn't just make the decision by themselves. They couldn't, they needed Al, really. And he wasn't ready to make that decision. He wasn't ready to meet me, especially when they were telling him that, that the guy they found, his name is Steven Bauer. <laughs> and he's like, he's not, and he's, he can't be Cuban. And he said, oh yeah, he's Cuban. And he goes, then why is his name Steven Bauer? So Al, and, and Al had somebody else that he wanted, that he, was, that he had promised uh, an audition for. So he was very, being very loyal to, he had, was loyal to a friend of his then. And, um, and so I f waited all summer, you know, and I turned down what would have been my first film. I finally got it offered to do a film, like right away, bang, bang. While I had already auditioned, I had already been seen for Scarface and been told by Bregman, you're gonna do this movie, but you have to wait. You know, and I have to tell my agents at the time, I, I got it. I'm the, the producer said, I got it. And they're like, sure, sure. John Travolta's gonna do that movie, you know that. Don't, don't delude yourself. And I said, no, the producer told me I'm gonna do it. And I said, there's no way, you're nobody. <laughs> you know, they're gonna cast a star in that role, and Manny. So I had to go through the whole summer and I, and I turned down another movie that was, you know, it was a lead in the film. It was a small independent feature, but it was a really good story, a great movie. And I, I pissed all, everybody off, including my agents who were saying, take, take the, the, the sure thing. I said, no, no, because Bregman said, I'm, I'm, I've got Scarface. So, and they all thought I was crazy because they said, you're gonna trust him. Why won't he give you a contract? Why won't he call us and say, listen, oh, I, you know, I guarantee it, because I still had to meet Al. So finally they set up the meeting with Al and it, and it went like this, boom, boom, boom. It, like this, like love at first sight, instant chemistry. And it was done, right? And there still was one more audition process. That's where Michelle and I and Angel and Gina, uh, Mary Elizabeth got cast and Pepe Serna. We all got cast in this one session where we all flew to New York and had some readings. And basically Bregman put Mary Elizabeth and I together because he had been telling me he said, you know, that I had the role. So he said, you work with her because I think you guys are the, are the right couple, you know. I think she's the one for you. She's Gina. Wow, and she was like, well, okay. I go, you and I have to, we have to connect in here. So we had really good chemistry. And that's where we got cast. So, but as soon as we're together back, as soon as he and I have the opportunity, Al and I have the opportunity to start working, we start working. And he takes a house, I lived in Malibu. I was living in a little thing in Malibu, <laughs> on the water, but right, a little tiny little place in Malibu. And he took a place for the summer to prepare f for Scarface. We weren't starting shooting till, till uh, November. We were gonna start shooting. So in September, let's say, take, he takes a place in Malibu and I go there every single day and hang out with him all day, all morning and afternoon, and just work on, on our lives together as the character. So that was what we did. Not, not the script, just us, just who, we're, who we are. And the accent and everything, you know, because I, I have the accent from my father, you know. So, one of the first things that happened was that he said to me, listen, um, I'm playing this character and it's uh, a drug dealer. And I, 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 I've never done this drug. <laughs> and I said, no? And he said, no. Why you? 
And I said, once, I, or, you know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Once or twice, I've seen it, <clears throat> read about it. And he, and he was like, you have? Can you show me what, can you teach me what is, the, I mean, what are the signs? How do you, and I'm like, oh, Jesus. Yeah, so that was, that was another eye opener. It was like, this guy knows less than me about this thing, you know? We're both like these goofball, you know? Like these, like, totally like, you know, alien to that world. Obviously, he had done Panic in Needle Park. And obviously, he's not a heroin addict, but he played a heroin addict. He played a junkie in, in, in Needle Park. And it's a pretty convincing performance. Yeah, he just couldn't, yeah, yeah. And that's his first role, really, his first, first role, really, in a film. And um, how long was this period of time before the first audition to, to this time without in Malibu? That, well, well, I auditioned in. Uh, I think I auditioned in August or something, and I, I or did you know in in June or something, in uh, in New York, June or May, late May, late May, June. And then I had to wait to meet him in late July or August. I think it was at the end of the summer. And then it hurry up and, and happened. We got cast, we got signed. And we started not rehearsals, but just hanging out together. And then we started rehearsals a, a couple weeks after that. And we start, kept hanging out every day, but we started rehearsing it like a play at Universal with, with chalk marks and, 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 and tape as the sets on, on the big sound stages and with the whole cast. And we rehearsed scene after scene after scene after scene. We'd run through the scenes. For two weeks, we did these scenes. And we were like, we could take this on the road, man. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know? it, was, it was tight. But there was still improvisation. And when we got to the film, to the shooting of it, then we really did. We did a lot of, we, we exp opened it up a little bit. You know, there was, obviously it was, we had found a lot more stuff in it. We didn't change the script but uh, but moments did change in terms of you know they we found a lot you know there was a lot that was there the script was great and and obviously there were scenes that were cut too that we that we trimmed that were unnecessary and it drove Oliver crazy it was his it was his baby you know and that caused a, a, a problem on the set because Oliver had to be was on the set early on with the script going like where's that scene Where's the scene? He'd be like, uh, it's gone. And he'd be like, <coughs> can't cut that scene. That scene's important, you know. And then finally, Brian, Brian De Palma. It's his movie, you know. He's directing it. He's like, I can't have him here. He can't. I gotta get, you know. He, Oliver, gotta go. You wrote it. We're you. We're we're shooting it. We'll decide what we shoot. You know. You can't be directing the film. We're telling us what to shoot. You know. So they banned him from the set. I remember there was one day I drove into Universal, and in the mornings I'd go and I'd arrive, you know, and I'd check in, and Al would be in his in the in the makeup trailer, or he'd be in his trailer, his bungalow actually, uh, and, or, or, or the camper, you know, and uh, and he and I'd go to my trailer, and then the AD would say he he wants you in there, he like as soon as you get you know get dressed and go in there, he wants really he wants to talk to you. But that was, it was just the routine we had. Every day I'd go and I'd hang out with him and he'd be sitting in the chair getting, the, the, uh, getting his scar, scar, scar yeah, done. Yeah. And every day he'd say, say, say the same thing. 
how you doing? How you doing? And I go, I'm okay. I'm okay. I go, how you doing? How you feel? And he goes, I'm tired. <laughs> tired. Yeah, I don't know. Just tired. <laughs> you know, over the years being here, I've bumped into a thousand people that have been in that movie. And it's so weird that it's such a good movie. Like, the first time I bumped into actor, yeah. who's a fucking Jew from New York. Oh, Hector. Hector is a Jew from fucking yeah, New yeah, York. Yeah, yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, yeah. when you bump into him and you have a conversation with him, you're like, God oh, damn. Hector, you mean Al Israel? Al Israel. I'm oh, like, yeah. I'm like, Al, you ever Poor go back Al to New Israel. York? He had terrible tragedy in his life, yeah. And he goes, why do I go back to New York? He goes, all my friends are either dead in prison. The way he did it, my heart stopped. I met the old guy in the yeah. immigration. The one that says to him, how'd you get this scarf from eating pussy? Oh, oh that guy, yeah. He but still walked around Hollywood. You'll yeah. see him walking. I always pick him up. You want to go? I used to give him rides to church. Yeah, and it, but the and funny guy's, thing, the thing is, and that thing is that they they didn't like his voice, so they used Charles Durning's voice. Right, because he's, he's friends with Charles Durning. Yeah. He's good friends with Charles Durning. So yeah, he was Charles telling me Durning he went to audition, him. and Bregman took him outside, and he goes, listen, don't fuck with this guy. This is the goods. So he yeah, goes yeah. in to ask... Uh, you know, Pacino, you know, how'd you yeah. get this scar from me? Yeah. Pussy tough guy, and he hits him in the face. So Bregman takes him outside and he goes, you don't touch that. That's <laughs> fucking money, okay? You don't touch that. Go back in there and do it. And the second time he went in there and did it, and this time he didn't grab Yeah, he just did it. And the guy goes, and finally Al goes, what the fuck are you waiting for? Yeah. Do it already. I liked how you did it. Yeah, yeah. So Bregman had to sit there like yeah, all embarrassed. Yeah. There's like, all there's all, of, Pepe Cerna had great stories. I did a few movies Pepe's, with Pepe yeah, Cerna. Yeah, is a yeah, good I guy. Yeah, you know, then we're all friends with a uh, fucko, crazy man. Angel Salazar. Angel Salazar. <laughs> and he's got a bunch of yeah, stories, yeah. you know. So it was, uh, you've put it all together. And I've seen you in auditions and I've always been proud because I'm yeah. Cuban. I mean, the first time I seen K-Pasa USA, I was a kid. And I figured this fucking guy could do it. I got to do something. And then my mother died and I was lost. And, and all of a sudden, there you are in Scarface. And I was blown away. Over the years, have you got, has anybody ever pulled you over on Flagler and said, Oh, yeah, maricón, lo que hiciste, fue de pinga. Has any Cuban ever pulled you over and said, What the fuck were you thinking? You know, the Italians like the mafia movies, then you make them and they pick at you. Oh, How were the Cubans oh, were to oh, you? Oh, oh. Has a Cuban ever pulled you over? Very, said, very, 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 very seldom. I think there's been one mate or two occasions throughout in throughout the years where one guy was kind of pesado, you know, he was kind of just obno a little bit obnoxious and he just he's like one uh, going against the flow. And uh, I think it was even like a situation where there were a bunch of guys that were, they were saying, hey, it's you, well, what the fuck, that was great, fantastic. And then there'd be one guy who, I think he just didn't wanna, he wanted attention to himself and he goes, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. I, I, never, I, I, I never bought that or I never liked uh, uh, Pacino's performance or, or, I didn't, but, or, or he'd say, uh, yeah, but you guys told the wrong story. That's not the story, you know, or something like that, something stupid. Or, or, and then there, there was one occasion, there's been one or two like that, where there has to be one voice, like one guy who has to call attention to himself because he's a know-it-all, right? And he has to say, I'm not impressed by it. I was never impressed by Scarface. And then, and then there'll be someone, uh, there, there was some, some guy once who said, uh, who said something about, uh, he said it to me like, 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 man, why'd you do that? Why'd you get involved in that or something? You know, you made us look bad or something. I'm like, 
Make who made who look bad? Well, you were saying <laughs> afterwards how Scarface was so uh, maligned. Maligned, yeah. yeah. Like, well, it was maligned by, but it was maligned not really by the public. It was maligned because the 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 national media, not even international. You know, and in those days, if you go back in time, we everything is everything is seen by everybody now. You know, in terms globally. I yes. Mean. Because of the internet, and in those days, <laughs> it's long ago enough where where literally something that happened in the United States. Well, there was there was press and there was telex and stuff to Europe, you know, and there was a the the foreign press that saw the movie actually were really knocked out by the movie, but the American press, the American media machine at that time were really on the same boat. They were really mostly, especially the critical, the 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 the, the film critics, and they were all of this basically all of the same mind because I I remember being like about ninety five or ninety seven percent negative reviews, and and they you know we were handed. If we wanted it by the publicity department, we were handed, you know, within days, within the first week of the release, collated what they, you know, they collated all the reviews from all the all the jur journals in the, in the country. Every critic had, you know, that was assigned to see the film, wrote a review, and 95, 97 percent were n were not negative. They were they were slams. It was like this is the worst American film ever made. The most repulsive, the most offensive film ever made, uh, the most over the top ever made. But uh, there were reviews that say both the, uh, the De Palma, you know, and De Palma as a filmmaker should go back to to school. You know, Al Pacino has lost his his mind. He's lost his touch. He's overacting. He's taken overacting uh, to a to a to a new height. You know, and we were just like, stunned. And and uh, and the thing that for me that was really awkward was that that uh, that I got off scot free in 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 more than half of those. Some of them they didn't even mention me because it is almost like the critic didn't even want to talk about it anybody in the movie except it's like Pacino's out of his it's out it's out of control and the director has the you know is so heavy handed and the script is not even a script you know it's it's an exaggeration and abomination Oliver Stone you know so there was like these guys should go you know leave the film industry and anybody else who's in it pity them they'll probably never work again you know including me but but half there was a lot of reviews that actually the the film critic would say the only pre pe person that gets off that gets through this is a uh, newcomer, Stephen Bauer, who is, holds his own next to Pacino's, you know, scene chewing, you know, or whatever, you know, crazy stuff that they would write because it was like this hatred for what it represented. And it's, it's, it's interesting, it's ironic because I remember being at the, the premiere and Martin Scorsese was sitting in front of me in, at, the, at the premiere. And, uh, and I knew he was. And it's weird because, I don't know, I think I was, I was with Melanie and Cher was with us. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, and, uh, and she was, you know, she was really loud. And when I came on, the, when my name came on the screen, no, when I came on the screen, she went, yay, Rocky! Like that, because she was sitting right with us, you know. And she was a friend of ours at the time. And, uh, and she was really loud. And Scorsese, in, in the first 
15 minutes or so, when we start, boom, 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 start moving, he turns around and he goes, you know they're going to hate this in Hollywood. They're going to hate it in Hollywood. He goes, it's great, it's great. You guys, it, this is great, it's great. But they're going to hate it, be prepared. I go, why? And he goes, because it's about them. <laughs> that was, I never forget that. It was just, I was sitting in a movie theater and I thought, oh, great, this is the first prediction. They're going to hate it. And they did. They did. We were not, there was, the film was not even considered for, for, for Academy Nothing. Awards. It did get Golden Globe nominations for Best Film, for Al, and for me. I got a Golden Globe nomination, my first film. Supporting actor. You know who Eddie Griffin but is? But it was from the foreign <laughs> press. You know who Eddie Griffin is? The black comedian? Yeah. He does 20 minutes on how Scarface should have got a motherfucking Oscar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm <laughs> telling yeah. you, we got to get still, those motherfuckers hey, on the phone. There's still time, you know. You watch. This could happen. But you proved them wrong. Yes, yeah, so I'm saying. You proved them fucking wrong. It didn't matter what the I, fuck they said. I know. They were still looking at Hotel New Hampshire. They're figuring out what the fuck went wrong with <laughs> Hotel <laughs> fucking New Hampshire. And you fucking came along. Yeah. They couldn't figure out what went wrong with the Pope of Greenwich Village in 83. Yeah, then yeah. you motherfuckers came along. What else came out that year? Splash? I mean, you know what I'm saying? Splash was out with you, which is one of my favorites with uh, fucking the chubby guy. But you think about what Scarface did. There's two scenes in Scarface. Terms of endearment. Oh, terms of endearment. That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. With what's her name dying of cancer and everybody. Oh, you man, coke and cancer ain't gonna fucking do it. But it's amazing that scene where you talk about in the restaurant with the mirrors. Yeah. Fucking shoot pictures, Felicia. Yeah. How hard is it to yeah. shoot when you're surrounded with yeah. mirrors? What a lot of people don't know is that last scene when they shoot Tony, there was like a director's convention in Miami. Yeah. So Steven Spielberg has a camera. A bunch of directors have a camera. They will show it up. So they said, uh, uh, grab uh, a uh, fucking uh, camera. Uh, Universal too. I don't know. I don't remember. The, it, it wasn't in Miami. It was. It was right something here. Something. There was, was a some, uni- something. It happened. was a Universal. Uh, uh, Landis came over and, and and Spielberg was there the day they were shooting the, the, the mirror scenes. The mirror scenes and where shit. Where he's sitting there and he's sitting between them and they both have their arms around him, Omar and, uh, and Frank Lopez. And he goes, and he goes, bring me the wine. He goes, fifteen uh, $5,000 for a bunch of fucking grapes. <laughs> Remember? <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and he laughs at all his own jokes. Frank, uh, uh, Bob Loja, he's so good. In but what, what about the other guy that went on to win an Academy Award for Amadeus? Omar. Yeah, that's Omar. How the I fuck know. does that happen? Omar gets killed on a fucking plane, uh, and, and now he wins an Academy wins Award Academy for fucking Award. Amadeus. Listen, it's we, amazing. We, this is mind-boggling. The irony was incredible. Because, incredible. Because at the time, that was the great play. That was the great Unbelievable. play. Unbelievable. On Broadway, and everybody's seen it. And Ian McKellen was, he was Salieri. He yeah. was it. He was the guy. And everybody thought, well, it's got to be him. Or somebody comparable. It could be Anthony Hopkins, maybe. I mean... Who, you know, and if it's an American actor, maybe Al will, will, will play Salieri, you know. And he was, you know, and Al was thinking about it. You know, we were th- we were talking about it. And then Murray. Abraham, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and we had just done this scene where we, like, we couldn't stop laughing because his he has a, a very animated face. And he, do, he does these very, hmm, you know, and he goes, do you know anything about cocaine you know and and every time he say that I'd start laughing to myself and then I would turn to Al and he'd say don't look at me because he started laughing you know and I would start laughing and then we'd cut they'd have to cut we did like 20 takes and Brian's going what's the matter guys what's what's the joke we go it's nothing it's just we can't look at him because he'd go do you know anything about 
like that and he would <laughs> and we go oh that's not how you do it oh Jesus it's terrible <laughs> no he had the double barrel shotgun yeah, in that day the thing, the thing the that bullet, you turn around the, the bullet yeah, yeah. and you turn it and the coke yeah. would come up yeah. and, but then sometimes you forgot to put it back and it was in and your fucking spilled. pocket yeah, and you're yeah, like god spilled. damn it yeah, yeah. because the thing would leave and it would <laughs> it just spill spilled. out a fucking hole so but, but it, bro I mean Listen, man, it, it fucked everybody up. The yeah. movie, SS. well, it's had its second life, you know. It's had its second, oh my second God. life now, and it's 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 kind of going strong. The uh, at the uh, at the event we had last year for the Blu-ray release um, with Al and Murray was Murray there. Murray was there, and Bob Loja, and uh, and and Bregman was there, and. Um, and the audience gathered and they just got to ask questions and stuff. And it was just, it was am amazing that, that there's a whole, whole generation and all the, you know, all those people, you know, all those uh, athletes who are just completely, you know, so, so influenced by Scarface. And you can't really judge the, the positive and negative factor. There's, it's a gray area. It, it influenced them in a way where, where, where you can't say for sure that that it glamorized that life. It glamorized it enough that the, that those who didn't know better went that way. We thought that that was the glamorous life. Right. Those who understood that yes, it glamorous, but it leads to your downfall. It leads to, to death and destruction. You know, so it has that effect. It really is. It's not an obvious effect. You know, when it's all said and done, it really is not an obvious effect. Obviously, it, it had it had that effect on certain segments of society, and we've all seen the result because they half, half those people ended up in prisons, you know, or dead. But the ones that were claimed they were influenced by it and our big success stories, well, then then how do you judge the movie? Is it does it affect you adversely or, or in a positive way because of its adverse re results? You know, I was talking to a friend of mine at six in the morning this morning. He owns a funeral parlor. We've been hanging out for 40 years. And he called me this morning, he was asking me questions. And I said, you know, I'm gonna have Steven on today on the podcast. And he didn't even, he didn't even know. He don't know fucking movie names. He yeah. knows you as fucking Manolo. So later on he goes, hey, I, I just looked, that's the guy. He goes, you know, remember that night we stayed up all night doing like an eight ball trying to figure out what Scarface says to the guy when he stabs him? We stayed up all night. It's from the friends you fucked. For the friends you fucked. Yeah. And we just go, that's all we did for eight <laughs> hours. Ten guys in the room. What do you say? I don't know. Do it again. What do you say? I don't know. Call the guy. We got to do another line. We need for another friends you fuck. We need another eight ball. We got to figure this out before the night comes up. I mean, there's so many things that yeah. you look at it and you people have grown or somebody. For somebody to say that the movie destroyed their life, then you got to get a fucking grip. Yeah. You got to well, get a grip. Let me ask you this real quick. At that point, when all these reviews are coming in, Martin Scorsese turns around to you and says, "They're not going to dig this." Yeah. Like, did you already have something else lined up? No. Or were you like, "Holy no. shit!" No. You know? It was for me. It was. It was. For me, it, it it really was. You know, the beginning of 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 my career, and and it was obviously an auspicious, you know, beginning. But I. You know, I'm on the set, and I, and I, but I'm not just on the set where I go to the set and I'm in a in a big movie and then I go home. I'm on the set all day with Al, mm -hmm. and and it's our movie. You know, in my in my mind, it's it's, you know, I stand back also and I go, face it, kid. You know, you're not just in this movie. You're next to him in every scene. So, 
what are you going to do with that? And what's that going to be like? So I'm trying to, you know, I'd, I'd roll the film forward and I think, okay, let's say it's, it's released and they don't cut any one of my scenes because I'm in all the scenes with him. And, and I'm not embarrassing, obviously, because or else he kicked me off. He would have kicked me off the movie. So how's it going to be? Well, it depends on if people like the movie. And then, so every day I would ask myself and I would ask him and drive him crazy. I would ask Al, I say, what do you think the audience is going to think of this insanity that we're portraying? Because it is insanity. Let's face it. What we're doing every day on the set, we're doing this character, you know, with, you know, and it, and the violence of it and the impulsiveness of, of and his anger, you know, the temp, the, all those things. It's crazy. I, and all, all I could do as a film historian, like as a cinephile myself, you know, was to, was to view it in, in, in contrast to his career. And I'd look at him and I would ask him point blank. I'd say, you've never done anything like, people never seen you do this. I mean, you've done some extreme roles in Dog Day Afternoon, you know, cervical panic in Needle Park. You know, you've done some intense stuff, you know, Corleone is, is, you know, but nothing like Tony Montana. <laughs> what is your audience going to think of this? And, he's, and he used to tell me, he'd say, I, I don't know. They're either going to really, really dig it or they're going to hate it. They're going to hate it. They're going to hate it intensely and they won't buy it. And I was like, huh. That's what I was afraid you'd say, <laughs> you know, was, because that's what I think. I'm thinking that too. I'm thinking there's a real possibility that this big, big movie, the big provocative and controversial movie will come out and, and then it'll sink and it'll be forgotten and it'll, it'll be as if we never made the film or worse, we'll be maligned for having been in it. I'll be maligned for having been in it and I'll never get another fucking job. <laughs> So I lived with that every single day. And then we get there to that moment of the release of the film. And then the response by the audience, which was tremendously positive. We went to Sardi's from the theater, went right to Sardi's. We got our tables and the, our peers start filing in and lining up to like, to touch, you know, to say hello and tell us how, how much, how crazy they were about the film. So we thought, we did it, we won. We did it, it's gonna be a success. And then the next day, the papers came out. And it was this incredible like deflate, deflating like a punch in the stomach because the reviews right away, nine o'clock in the morning, after the, the, the high of the night before, the reviews in the paper were this is a piece of shit and should probably be banned and forgotten in Hollywood, in, the, in, the, in screen history, in Hollywood history. This is an abomination. And to find one that didn't say that, you have to look far and wide. I, I've seen we the, were the, calling each other saying, have you seen any? I'd, he'd say, it's not good. He called, I talked to him, you know, that day. I remember us talking to him. And he says, yeah, he goes, it's not good. It's not good. It's not good. And I go, no, you're kidding. I, I said, I saw one, but I, you know, and he goes, no, 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 it's, it's not good, but don't worry. 
don't worry. Because he used to tell me, he said, that's air. That's just air. It's, it's opinion. I say, yeah, but it's going to be widespread. If it's, if it's a review can reach a lot of people and influence people, you know, and influence other media. And, and he would say, but it's still just opinion. It doesn't have anything to do with what you did. What you did is, is what it is. It is what it is. And it'll, it'll, be, it'll last, you know, and it'll find an audience or, or everyone will hate it. But you already know that it's good because you know it's good. We, What's I'll, the movie made you, worldwide so far? Huh? What's the movie made? Made? I don't know. Billions. Bill, so yeah, the, a lot of at the end of the deal, yeah. it, it's the fucking yeah. bank. But I mean, it took a long time. It really took a long time. You said and, something, and we couldn't, and we, and we couldn't enjoy it. You know, it was so bad that we couldn't. You know, I told you about the Marlins and my dad. My dad, like, we talk every day, and then the, the season started really well, and there was a lot of hope and all that stuff. You know, and and it's like, yeah, and this happened, and then you know, you lose some games, and then you win a game. And it's like, wow, they're really coming around. It really looks good, but then you lose five games in a row. And you lose them by virtue of, of, uh, of, of, like, just missed opportunities. An era, you know, and not being able to, not being able to get runners home. You get runners on base, and you can't get them home. And the other teams get runners on base, and they knock them, and they get them in. They get RBIs, and we can't swing the bat when there's runners on base. So suddenly it becomes suddenly I can't talk to my dad like every day because. There's no good news, you know. I mean, I don't have. Again, I, if I'm not working on a film, what am I going to talk to him about? The dog. <laughs> Let me <laughs> you ask know? you something. That and, you and, and so, when he, Al and I used to talk on the phone like girls, <laughs> even know? after the movie was released. Well, after the movie, no, no. We before that. I mean, we were talking uh, up until the film, the was, film released, was released. Immediately after, it started going downhill because suddenly it was depressing. To have that contact, yeah. It was like, how, how have you been? Yeah, have you seen anything recently? Well, the Golden Globe, you know, the foreign press likes it. Some of the foreign press likes it, but it doesn't matter. I go, what about? Is there any talk? Anything? Anybody in the Academy? Have you heard anything? He goes nothing, nothing, nothing at all. Nobody in the United States, in the film community, is talking anything positive about this movie, and and not and. But that wasn't an exaggeration because the next year and the next year and the next year, I would go on appointments. On appointments in Hollywood, I'd go on casting, you know, and obviously there was people who liked the movie, but they were in the closet. It was a Scarface closet. <laughs> you couldn't really talk about it. It's like it's like being it's like being a communist when communists were out of favor. It's like now it's like being a conservative. <laughs> because because liberals aren't, aren't in favor. It's like being a conservative in Hollywood. It's like you can't talk about it. So there were people, literally, I'm not kidding, this is, this is exaggerated, but I would walk into an office and one of the executives, one of the guys, a young guy would come out and go, that great fucking movie's amazing. You're amazing in this fucking movie. We don't have to talk about Scarface though. Come in, come in, come in, meet the guys. And, you know, and, then, and then someone else would go, and Stephen Bauer, Stephen, yeah, and I say, hi, 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 how you doing? And one of them would go, yeah, yeah, you're in that, you're in that Scarface. I go, yep, yes, I was. And then, and he'd go, what a piece of shit. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, but what a piece of shit. Yeah, I mean, you were 
you're good in it. You know, you, you, you did all you could. I literally would say that to me. You know, people would actually have the fucking balls to talk freely about it. Like it was like, like it's easy to, that's easy to say. That movie you're in, I'm sorry, that's the biggest piece of shit ever made in Hollywood. <laughs> what was 85? So remember, still was, people were still in the closet about cocaine. People didn't come out of the closet about cocaine until 1990. It was amazing, yeah. Yeah. I remember reading like Time. They had like a fucking three page on it, like six months after it came out. On how the, And I was like, the fucking, everybody loves this movie. Yeah. The yeah. guy would walk me out and say, and say, I'm really sorry, man. It's just, these guys don't know what they're talking about. It's really a great No, everybody was on the yeah. closet. There was. That's a great point you made. Everybody, you know, you made, you said something I before. I'll never get a fucking job because I'm, I'm you know, I'm linked to, you know, they were talking face. about. I'm, I'm, I've got the stain. You were talking about the violence in this movie that yeah. people were really pissed off about the violence. But did you, you said you also talked to people that had come over from Cuba in 79 and 80. Yeah. And a lot of people didn't know that. A lot of people don't know that in Cuba there's a fucking prison called El Moro, yeah. which got a hole and you're naked. Yeah, and that's, that's it. it. That's yeah. it. You gotta yeah. piss. Yeah. You gotta piss and hold on to oh, your yeah. dick and because they'll tackle yeah. you. And you know, it's a different party down there. So when a lot of those people came over, and if you're lucky, they're not the the guards aren't walking by right. and peeing down and pee, peeing and down on you. Not, peeing, you know, you said you. a word in that movie that I always wanted to ask you about. You said a word. You called somebody Monina. Monina, yeah, because the guy, means? one of the doctors, the doctor that we met, he talked to us. He told us some of the slang that they use for each other. Oye, Monina. The ñañigos. Yeah. Monina comes from a, 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 a underculture in Cuba that they call ñañigos. And I try to tell Felicia about ñañigos. When you see ñañigos go the other way, there's not many of them left. <laughs> but one of them will fight 20 people. <laughs> and they usually have the arrow yeah. with the zeros and the Xs. And, yeah, uh, because they were taught. They, were, they, 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 were, they, they don't eat pussy. Survival. They don't eat pussy. <laughs> that's the number one rule they have. They don't eat fucking pussy. Because that's how much of a man they are. They're over men. Like, they can't be in a room if there's a gay guy in a room. No. They can't let a gay barber Did touch their head. Did you have another name for that too, though? Nyanigo, uh, Abaqua. 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 Yeah. It's, a uh, it's the underlying religion in Cuba. And anybody knows that those people are very violent. When they, yeah, when they go violent. after you, well, they slice your ass yeah, with a straight razor. Right. They don't the, cut the you in the face. They're homophobes. Yeah, they're homophobes. Yeah. And they cut yeah. your ass with a straight razor just in case. Like, even if you're not gay, just to let you know you might be gay. Because yeah. next time we're going to fuck you in the ass. Yeah. I mean, that's how crazy these guys are. Yeah. And a lot of people don't know that culture, and it's very violent. When those refugees came over, I mean, I know for a fact that Andy Garcia is trying to make a movie about the pirating. When the Cubans were coming yeah. over, the pirates that were going over there and fucking telling people it's going to cost you 80000 Like in every society. Yeah. Like in every, every society when there's yeah. a mass exodus. But it was, uh, a lot of people never understood it. When I watched that movie... I understood it completely because I grew up in that. I yeah. grew up in that machismo. Yeah, it's got enough. See, the thing about the movie that's good is that when I watch it, it's got a lot of... It, it, I always tell people, you know, in retrospect, and, and, and also, me as a, you know, trying to be objective, I'm really proud of the film, the way it's made. And I, and I wasn't a big Brian De Palma fan, and I'm not a total Brian De Palma fan anyway, you know. And I did another movie with him, Bless His Heart, he cast me in in Raising Cain and, and I had a really great role and, and I had a, and it was a nice experience. You know, he's never cast me in a movie after that. He did, he offered me a part in, uh, in Carlito's Way but I didn't want to do it because I didn't like, I didn't like the part. After, after being without, you know, I just, it, it was wrong for me at the time. Anyway, but I, and then I've never worked with him again. But 
in that film, he was in sync with what need what the what that story needed. That story was so gritty and so ugly, and so that it needed his kind of cold and and always moving. It's always moving. You notice the camera's always John Alonso. Bless his heart. Uh, he passed away. A great, great cameraman, great cinematographer, Mexican American, uh, and he was. God, he was so good and so meticulous with light. And you see the film and every shot is beautiful, you know. Every shot is beautiful. And you can say as a film, you know, you can say, wow, it's, there's, there's stuff in it that's almost too pretty to be so, to be so gritty, you know, to be so violent. But it, it helps the film because it lulls you into this, into this feeling of like, it's just... It's just a movie. It's just a movie. Ah! And suddenly there's this like real, real, real violence that happens and it sneaks up on you, you know, and it's more than just the graphic stuff. It's the implied violence It's the implied and the and the and the coming violence, you know, the the coming doom that, that you feel. You really feel it because of because of his camera work, because of the hypnotic style that they that he uses. And so when you watch the movie it's not it doesn't it could have been because a lot of films of that era are they smack of hollywood and hollywood cliches and but we really did get down and dirty with with the, the language the language isn't perfect you know there's, there's been more than a few people who I, I wanted to punch in the face who have said they said oh it's great you know great 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 but you know but Pacino's accent's not real, and I'm like, motherfucker, I taught him how to. I taught him that accent. Don't, don't be criticizing his accent. And they go, nah, he doesn't sound like a Cuban. I go, it, it's, it's a fucking movie. First of all, it's a fucking movie. Come on, I wasn't even offended, that and I get pissed off. You do that time. role. I wasn't even offended. <laughs> yeah. You know, you tell your friends in Miami Beach, I kill a communist for fun. Yeah. Before, Before a green, green card, card, I'm gonna cut, cut that off. motherfucker yeah. real nice. That is classic yeah, fucking classic, verbiage. Classic the only complaint I have about that movie is that scene in Freedom Town where they kept running the same extra over and over again. I know that motherfucker. I, I want to kill but him. See, that's the thing. Those are the things in it when I watch it that are just like they're Brian De Palma things. They're they're Hollywood 1982 things that are that happen you see it in other movies of the time it's something that's almost like a formula that and it's not even maybe it's the filmmaker and his ad's also it's the way they ran extras the way they did the extras it's the whole thing about in freedom town you've got a bunch of little people and cubans are not little people <laughs> you've got a bunch of a lot of salvadorans and hondurans and mexican immigrants in the extras under the the ten freeway because we couldn't shoot in Miami and use and use real and use real Cuban extras, you see what I mean? So that whole first scene, look at me, I'm six two, you know, but I'm like head and shoulders over everybody else in the scene when I show up because they're all like they're little guys, little Indians, <laughs> you know? And and you're watching and people are and I'm watching. I'm going saying, oh, it's an '80s movie about immigrants, you know. It's but it, but enough of it is real, you know. Enough of it becomes real and dirty, and 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 Al insisted on it. That's why I worked with him, and and we got and we we met with this guy, a Cuban doctor, who worked in the he was in prison and he got out, but he saw all the savagery and the and he taught, taught and he gave us those slangs specifically, and Al specifically wanted to do certain scenes 
where he would say one thing that they grounded the scene. Nobody said that won't pass in that movie. Did you say that? No, that's right. The only but you know what else? But the other thing is this. The other thing about the cocaine is interesting is that it, it is ritualized and and the way it's shot and the way De Palma shoots it, it's ritualized and that kind of, and that obviously it was effective because you have an entire generation of drug, drug users who do it the way it was done in the movie. So it was, it was, it, it was, it was not done in a bullshit way, you know, because obviously it's been copied. It's done in an iconic way, like that. That became the iconic, you know, representation of extreme drug use. But the funny thing is this, my character, if you watch the film, the next time you see it, my character is never ever shown Doing, doing a bump, no. Doing a bump. Oh wow! Yeah. And and so to the to the extent where where people in the first few years, who were like kind of like in between about the movie, they'd be like, "Whoa, wow, man! You you're you're you were the only guy who didn't do drugs." They were trying to find like a silver lining. They're uh -huh. like, "Wow, man! It's such a that movie's amazing. It's really strong." And say, and, and and you didn't even do drugs in the movie, like like you were the good guy. I'm like. No, I wasn't. And I, I mean, I and they say, no, we, you never, you weren't even into the drugs. And I go, I can't really say you can't really say that about the character that we never see you. And that's true, because Brian De Palma, the motherfucker, what he did was he never showed Manny doing that, and he did it for a reason. So when he get, when he when he catches me at the end with his sister, it. it it, it's more of a sympathy. There's more sympathy, absolutely. That's why those stupid people come up to me and they go, God, you didn't even want to be in that business. I'm like, that's not, that wasn't in the script. It's just the way it was cut. And it was cut to, so they would have that effect where it's like, he killed his best friend who was such a good guy, you know? But when he comes back, he realizes what he's done when he comes back. Absolutely. Off the coke. absolutely. And you come down, how many times will I but go out, what, but, grab a girl's tit, and you come yeah. home and go, but you know fuck, there's I'm scenes. The You're like, oh fuck. But there's scenes. You know, there's a scene where I have the, the flowered shirt and Jerry the banker's there, and he goes, "What are you gonna do? Fly it to you know Bahamian cabin?" You know, blah 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 blah. And he goes, "Yeah." And he goes, hey, "Take care of yourself." He goes, "You're in good hands." You know, and he goes, "Yeah, I'm, I'm safe, but I'm poor." You know, and all this stuff, and and then the guy leaves, and he goes, "Fucking cocksucker," and then. He goes like this, and he turns the thing over, and he makes some lines, and he goes, <laughs> and he passes it to me, and they cut, though. And then you hear, because the, for some reason the sound guy didn't cut it, but you hear me going, <laughs> like, <laughs> you hear me snorting it, but it stays on him, so it never shows Manny doing drugs. Psychologically and subliminally, Manny's clean. If you open up that door, you gotta close it. You yeah. didn't open it. That's a great director. He didn't even fucking open it. Why get them all tangled yeah, up? Yeah, 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 you know exactly. And, and there's Why another the thing door? he didn't do. He cut me out of. He did shot two scenes. He shoots me in a in a in a in a jacuzzi naked with three girls with champagne and cocaine, like like this, a, a mirror, and and a bottle and glasses of champagne and a girl naked. Naked in a fucking jacuzzi, and I'm like, "Hey, come here," like that. And then he didn't use it; he kept it for himself. He watches it, you know. 
he shows it at his little sex parties, <laughs> Brian. Perfect. And then, uh, I don't know. But all I know is it disappeared. Is there one scene? And then there's another scene. One more. Okay. Because there's, there's a scene where she and I are getting together. Slowly but surely. Gina. So Gina, the girl, right? Because we're looking at each other. Now, he shows us looking at each other once or twice. And that's it. Because remember, he said, stay away from her, man. She's not for you. Okay. All right. But I can't. So there's a, the wedding scene, and we look at each other. There's a moment. And then in the script, and you go, okay, now you guys, come on, we're going to do the scene. And you guys are just beyond the wedding, after the wedding party, and they go down to look at the tiger. The camera pans down like this to the tiger. Arr, and then it goes over this little bridge into the forest. And there's Manny with Gina up against the tree with her skirt hiked up. And we're like having sex. Cut. They cut it because they didn't want the audience to say, oh, those motherfuckers are cheating on our third behind mm -hmm. motherfuckers behind Al's back, behind Tony's back. So when he catches me and he kills me, we were married. So the audience, you know, and, and it's more guilt for him. It's like, oh, you weren't doing anything wrong. You married him and, uh, you know, I'm the asshole. So it, he, he's, you know, that's Brian De Palma. He's, There's only one funny line in that movie, and it's after that. When he realizes he takes the coke out, yeah. cuts it, and he goes, I got to get organized. I got to get organized. And he yeah. does a line of coke. Yeah. Because his ADD was kicking in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He invented ADD. <laughs> He's like, I got to get organized. I gotta get organized. That is the funniest line. Know, you didn't catch it in 1984. Yeah. You catch it now on TBS. You know what I'm saying? I gotta get organized, and he does a line of coke right there. ADD was invented right yeah. there. People said, "All right, invent ADD. You gotta get organized." In and the, there's a yeah. Go I ahead. just wanted to ask. In, in the beginning of this conversation, you alluded to that that this movie did step your game up. Is there one scene in particular that it switched it for you as an actor, like made you step up, or was the most difficult? Um, yeah. At the time, uh, at the time that I was that I was uh, already considered for the film, right before I got cast, um, I had already met Al, and he approved me basically. And then, we, like a week later, my agents called and they said, "Listen, uh, the auditions are coming. The final auditions are coming up in New York. So you're now they're telling us, yes, you are the." You're the number one contender. You're the number one choice for the role. But they're still going to have auditions. You still got to go to New York. We're still going to, they're flying you to New York and we're going to, they're going to do a round of auditions. It may just be just to show the world that everything was fair. That may be the thing because we understand that Bregman wants you and Al wants you and everything, but they could still, stranger things have happened. They could have the audition and then John Travolta, John Travolta is off at the role because maybe up until now John it, it, John's best friends with Brian De Palma and after up until now they've left they they've said no he can't have it it's, that's favoritism in other words you know Brian can't just use John you know and Al can't use his favorite young actor nobody gets their favorite choice they're gonna take someone brand new and that was me so I had a good shot 
at it. That's why my agent thought, okay, maybe you do have a shot at this. But don't be surprised. Don't be, you know, let down if they, if they cast John Travolta. Imagine John Travolta's Manny. No. <laughs> no <way>. <laughs> or <laughs> Eric Roberts. You know, let me tell you Or something. Eric Estrada. You've had a, a hell of a Why was he up so, for it? Well, they, they, I used to hear all kinds of stuff. You know, I'd hear all kinds of things. They say, Eric Estrada's up for it, too. And I go, Eric Estrada? They go, well, he's Puerto Rican, you know. He could be, you know. He's really well-known. We're like, oh, my God. I don't know. Eric, Eric Roberts was up for it. Or, you know, I mean, there was guys that were, like, the right type, you know, who already had quite a career going. So right then, during that moment, I get a call. My agent called me, call me they go, all right, you're not going to like this. We, uh, they're telling us that um, they really like you. Um, you're really perfect for the role, but they still have some question about whether you have the cold, the cold-bloodedness down, whether you have it down. And I go, I mean the cold-bloodedness? You know, well, you, you have to kill somebody in the movie. In the, in the movie, you kill Frank Lopez. And they just don't, you know, they don't know that you can pull that off. I go, what do you mean pull it off? I, sh I kill him. I shoot him. And they go, well, they haven't seen that side of you. I go, that's because I'm always smiling and having a good time. They go, well, you've got that down. <laughs> the point is that they're worried about whether you're going to be believable as a stone killer. I go, and? And they go, they want you to work with a coach. So I had to fucking go. I had to go and meet this amazing coach at the time, this guru, Sandra Seacat. And uh, her daughter's like an even bigger guru now. Her daughter, um, um, I don't know, Gina, uh, uh, I don't, anyway, Seacat, anyway. And so she's like one of the great coaches in Hollywood. She coaches actors mm -hmm. or actresses, right? And so Sandra was famous for being for living with, in New York City, she lived with Mickey Rourke and was his girlfriend guru, you know, and, uh, and pulled, got all this stuff out of him and that's why he became such a great actor. And they were still friends, but, you know, he was, you know, he was on his own thing. But anyway, so they say, you gotta see, you gotta go meet this lady. And I go, oh my God, what for? They're like, because they're not, they really need you to show more ice in your veins and I'm going uh, how I mean, you know so I went and I had to meet her and and she said this is what I've been told is and she goes and I see it already you're already a prince right but they need to see the frog <laughs> and, and I said well and she goes and you have a frog inside you I know you do <laughs> and so she said you have to let him out I said oh well okay how and she goes she goes stop smiling <laughs> just stop smiling all the time I said okay and that, basically, but it went much deeper than that. Mm -hmm. But I had to work with her, like, boom, 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 from then on up until the, the, the audition process because they really wanted to make sure that I was totally believable in that role. And, that, and so when you asked me what was the role where I, what was the part of the, of the film of the, of the role where that really, for me, was growth. Well, the whole thing in terms of, of hanging out with him and, and, and improvising, you know, um, being spontaneous with him because I could change stuff too, and he'd follow me. You know, and he, we'd laugh between each other. But it's that it's it's all that that we have that fills up the air. You know, without it just being line 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 line. And that's why people say it sounds like the whole thing's improvised. No, 
No, it's all written. Basically, we change one or two things, you know, or the way something, you know, you is always delivered. Do. You always change yeah, something. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But, it, something. but it, it's, it has that feel to it. So that was the growth for me. And then the next point of it really was going to that point where, I, where we're going to go kill Frank Lopez. And I'm thinking, and I, as the character, I, I'm thinking, fuck, how is this going to go down? Because I know him. He's either going to shoot him in the face or he's going to torture him or he's going to do this. or that. But no, he says, Manny, you shoot him. And I go, oh, fuck. Boom. You know, I have to get myself ready for it. You know, so that was that. That was the most like challenging part of it was waiting because it took two days to get to the shot because he tortures him. You know, he runs that whole scene and he goes, yeah, you did it. It was you, Frank, you know. That whole thing, and he's in the chair. Just to be shot out over two days in that fucking room, and I'm standing there the whole time waiting, waiting. What's gonna happen? What's gonna happen? You know, I'm trying not to anticipate. You know, I'm not anticipating. I'm Manny, and I'm watching him do his thing, watching him do his thing. And suddenly he's like, Manolo, you know. And I'm like, oh, and I was chewing gum. You can see it. I'm chewing gum. I'm nervous as shit. You know, and I have to like, and I'm talking to him because my father told me something. He said, he said, first, he said, if you've never killed a man and you suddenly have to kill a man in cold blood and you have nothing against him, you have to tell yourself something. You have to create some anger or else, you know, or else you're not going to pull the trigger. Yo, this podcast, like I said earlier, is brought to you by audible.com. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash B-A-D-B and get your 30-day trial right now. And it's a free audio book. you got over 100,000 titles. And the beauty of it, you can download it to your Android, to your iPhone, to your iPad, to your iPod, to your mother's iPod. Get in there. Get the fucking book. Get a Fifty Shades of Grey. Get mom whacking off. And let's get this fucking party started. Go to audible.com slash B-A-D-B or whatever the fuck it is. Audiblepodcast.com at slash B-A-D-B. And get your Audible download today. Cut this shit. You know, Joya, I'm embarrassed to tell you this, but uh, yesterday I took the boys to Target. I'm doing my grocery shopping, you know, getting some cereal, buying dog food, buying toilet paper, which everyone goes through the house like it's fucking on fire. And my kids were begging me uh, to buy them a video game. So we go to the electronics section. I buy them a game. I don't even look at the game. The game turns out to cost $60. Joya almost shit myself, and I thought to myself, wouldn't it be cool if there was a service that you could get a game, you could play it for a few days, and then when the novelty's worn off, you could send that motherfucker back? Because let me tell you, there are so many games at my house. I use them as coasters. If I see a game disc on my floor, I throw it away. I step on it like it's a dead roach. If you're one of these people, I think you should consider Gamefly.com. Gamefly.com offers over 8,000 video games. It sends you the disc in the mail, and when you're done with it, you just send it back. There's no late fees, no hassles with access to all new releases. It'll work on anything, your PlayStation, your Wii, your Xbox, even your PC. And for our listeners, if they go to www.gamefly.com backslash B-E-A-S-T, they will get a free 15-day to-disc trial. 
Come on, that's a great value. One month subscription is a fraction of what a new game costs. People buy games for like $60, then a week later they're done playing it. Come on, you and I both know it's not a week later, it's the next day. So give it a try. Go to Gamefly.com backslash B-E-A-S-T to get your free offer of a 15-day two-disc trial uh, for free. There you go. And hated Richard Gere as a kid because <laughs> I had a girlfriend that went to see uh, American Gigolo. Oh, yeah. I was going to kill that motherfucker. <laughs> and I was in Harlem one day and, oh I, and, God, and there was Stifa Hearts as a double feature with Officer Stephen and Hearts Gentleman. Officer and Gentleman. And I said, I got to put up with fucking Stephen Bauer and, and Richard Gere. And Red Dog. You were in the movie with Red Dog. Stifa uh, Hearts. You in the movie with fucking Red Dog. Oh, oh, What's Caruso. his name? Caruso. Yeah, Caruso's in that movie, Stifa <laughs> yeah. Hearts. Oh, my God. And I remember I, I gave him that role. I, I got I brought him to them. I, I set him up for that role. And I remember because he drove me crazy. Crazy. And I remember watching this going. David. I fell in love with Richard Gere after that movie. Yeah, he was I'm so good. I'm a big time Richard Gere fan. Yeah, me too. And then I, I was telling too. I was And telling, I worked with him. I'm primal fear when I yeah. see and I was telling your boy yesterday, your buddy, I go, you know, it's crazy because when Richard Gere seen him for the first time, he's like, cut. I need more makeup. I'm, I thought I was handsome. This motherfucker's taking me to the cleanest. He did. He, 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 yeah. He held my face. Yeah. He was freaking. He was freaking. How'd you know that? Did I tell that story? No, or I just knew. Oh, you I, know I, that? In 1989, yeah. Richard Gere could take his dick out anywhere yeah. and somebody would suck it. Yeah. Somebody would suck it. If I look like Richard Gere, I just walk around with my dick out of the Why fuck around? I'm Richard Gere. You know what I'm saying? Why? I suck my dick. I'm Richard Gere. So here's Richard Gere at home fucking a chick from Law and Order, you know, doing fucking Yamastays, and all of a sudden he gets a call to do Primal Fear. He shows up and he goes, Cut! The fuck is this good looking motherfucker doing here? And taller. I was and taller. And taller. Does he speak Spanish? I don't yeah. need this shit. I don't need this and shit. And I swear right to God, here. we were standing around waiting for the shot, shot and we we're freezing. It's Chicago, it's Chicago right? Chicago, sure, yeah. we're outdoors. We're standing there, and I was going, and I'm telling stories. I'm telling stories. I'm doing like this, and he's looking at me like this. He's looking at me like this, and I go, "What?" And he goes, "What a face!" Yeah, I told, I knew it. I knew. It. Yeah, he's fucking dying. He, he did. Dying. He goes, "What a face on you." At the time, there was nobody better than Richard Gere. Yeah, Even Brad Pitley, Richard, nice. sit down. Very dog. nice guy. But, let, me, uh, let me just uh, ask one more thing and then we'll, because uh, uh, I know it's very hot in here. Uh, as an actor now and having gone through that whole experience yeah. of, of huge leaps and falls you yeah. know, all over the place because yeah. of this whole story, uh, do you still love what you do? Oh, do, yeah. Does it make it when you're, does it free you in a sense knowing that even if People don't get it right away. Time will uh, will even it all out. Yes. And people will understand the work in a yes. future time. Does yes. that eat, let you free as an actor? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. It it really allows me to uh, to. That's a great great point. Yeah, it it does uh, it does free me because um, it 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 hammers in the point. That uh, that I learned from 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 a, a great acting coach, um, who's um, I saw who I saw recently. I'm going to see him again. His name is Harry Mastro George, and he was my first teacher here. And uh, and he what he taught was self reliance. What he really wanted to instill in 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 actors was not to not to base your work on what someone else is telling you how to do it. You know, not to need the director. To be open to the director, but to come in 
and know where you're going. Really, really have an idea of who you are, where you're coming from, and where you're going. And so, and so you weren't, so that you wouldn't be so quite so uh, um, vulnerable to 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 being swayed out of your what you're thinking, you know. But be, but still be open-minded, be mm-hmm. receptive. And so, when I get the opportunity to do really good roles uh, to work with really good people, I'm I'm flying. I, and, and is it fun? Yeah, it's still really, really fun. And I really look forward to it because I get to have a, a good time and experience something new. It's always something new, Some, something new. I had an experience, it was one day, one day's work, two scenes with Paul Sorvino, this, this mm-hmm. the beginning of the summer. And, um, and it was such a great experience, such a beautiful experience because it's just two, two situations, two days, you know, I mean, it's two, two scenes with somebody who's so full, you know, and so great. And I thought, I'm right there. I'm right there with him. And he's looking forward to working with me, you know. And so we were bouncing off each other. And we were it's just too bad it's so short, you know. We had two scenes and that's it. But it's going to be great. It'll be, you know, so I could walk away from that and go, well, there's another one for my, you know, for my... <laughs> my chest you know uh it's a body of work that you you, and then there's there's stuff that I did when I was not ready to work or I was my mind was elsewhere my soul was elsewhere my soul was dark or you know it was oppressed or you know I I was distracted and and the work itself or the the opportunity itself let's say was not a great one it was not an ideal condition the other actors were not great actors let's say the filmmaker was not a great and I'll still you know and I have to look at that too I look at that and go hmm, there it is you know <laughs> there it is uh, you know well where, where was I then you know hope a lot of people don't see this you know get rid of it mm-hmm. you know but it's there it's like you know the, the famous story about Paul Newman doing this all this great work in his you know a, a, as a young actor on stage and then he gets the opportunity to do a film, and it's the it's the wrong film. It's a really really bad, bad film with not a good filmmaker and and a terrible idea to do a costume epic, where he's wearing a short Roman skirt, you know, and his skinny legs are showing, and it's bad. The acting is bad and everything, and it's released, and he's like, and he's a guy who's just spent like his formative years becoming. An actor, a real actor, you know, and ready to do some really good work. He gets a call from Hollywood and he does the first thing that they offer him because it seemed like a great opportunity, a lot of money, and suddenly, you know, suddenly go from Broadway to Hollywood. And he sees it and he's like, no, I don't want to be known for this. And he literally, literally borrowed money and bought the fucking, bought the movie, bought it. So that, yeah, it's called the Silver silver Chalice. The silver chalice and he said no I'm not and he got he borrowed money and and bought the rights to the film so that it would never be shown it's I've seen it I mean I've seen parts of it you can actually find it you can find on YouTube or something oh, okay. the silver chalice and he's walking around in a little skirt you know but not like it's not like a really well done costume you know it was like let's make him look cute you know it was 50s it was early mid 50s and it was bad bad design, bad style, bad, bad, you know, bad taste. <laughs> and he didn't realize that at the time because it was just like, well, it's my first movie. I, I guess I'm, I'm in Hollywood. I should do what they say. 
And right, at, right after that, he had the presence of mind to say, that's a piece of shit, and I'm in it. I'm starring in it, you know? Well, we can't really do that now. You know, everything is forever now. So you have to be really careful. And I wasn't for, for a few years. There's years where I was just like, job, you know? You did the Louis Morrow movie with Joe Rogan. With Joe Rogan. The Lewis, oh, 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 Lewis but it hasn't, it's not out yet. Louis Morrow, the that Cuban kid. That I'm still kid. waiting, yeah. you know? Oh, and I think there's, a, there's even, and I keep being told, I keep being told, my scenes are, are good in it because it's funny. I'm, you know, I play this character, but I'm like, I'm thinking, <coughs> the movie's never going to be released. Half of them you do. How many do you do that don't? And, and it's been five, six, seven years eight already. Years. The eight. chick went through fucking... Uh, uh, the chick that did it was the girl from uh, My Jamie, Name is Earl. Jamie and Presley. My Name is Earl came and left already. And the movie still hasn't been released. Jamie yeah, Presley's, Jamie in, Presley's it, yeah. in it. So and, I went to school with that. And Donald, and Donald, Donald uh, Faison. Faison. Yeah. You know he's Cuban. Oh, Faison? No, no. You know Faison Love is Cuban. Not Faison. Yeah, yeah Faison Love is Cuban. I didn't know. Faison, Faison, Faison Love? Faison Love is Cuban. I just found that out. He just said hello to me one day. He was born there, and then he was raised in Newark and somewhere else. So yeah, he's a Cuban. Yeah, phase on love is fucking Cuban. That just goes to show you that. You have any dark cousins, Doug? Do you have any black cousins in Cuba? Remember the first time you seen them, you almost lost your fucking mind. Have you been back to Cuba? No. You won't go back either. It's not that I won't. It's just that I haven't had really had a, a real opportunity to go. I've been invited to, by the film festival, but that's kind of like the wrong cir circumstances because then you're lumped together with like that whole set. And I met them. They came to the Dominican Republic and they all crowded me and shit. And they were like on top of me. And it was, that was, you know, that it was fun because they're really Cuban. But it's not fun because they're really, <coughs> they're telling me, they're saying, listen, Whatever you've heard is not true. And I go, come on, man, don't tell me that. And he go, just come and see. We do whatever we want there. I go, yeah, you do. But you guys live a very, very special life. You know, you're the Cuban Film Committee, you know. You guys are treated preferentially. Wow. It's like my cousin. My cousin you know? has a band. And so they live they're, on like, the beach. they're like, yeah. Steve, come, man, we love you there. You have to be, you know with us and show the world that you're not afraid and I'm like it's not that I'm afraid I you know I just don't want to I don't want to condone that you know why you know I can go and visit you know but I'm gonna have to say that I don't I don't I don't buy it I don't buy it why would you stay the same why would you not allow why would that government not allow people to leave when we leave you can't leave no you have to stay there except for you guys who are sent out as as missionaries you know it's propaganda you know it's bullshit it's bullshit and anyway i'd love to go but i'd love i'd go anonymously <laughs> i'd love to go you know i want to go see i, I really see. do want to go I, I i every time i see anything about cuba i just saw a great documentary i have to give a plug because um it's coming out it'll be out this year and next year and it'll be in film festivals going hopefully you're going to be in toronto Ch chicago and the telluride festival it's called Cuba American, and I'm in it, and Andy's in it, and uh, Lorena Fejo, the the ballet dancer, and it's and a bunch of like real capitalists, <laughs> real real corporate corporate guys who have made it, you know, great artists, great great writers, great you know, um, foundation people, you know, great doctors. My friend Pedro Greer, Joey Joey Greer was my childhood friend in in Westchester where I grew up. 
we discovered music together. And he grew up to be a doctor, and we went in different paths. I went to Miami, I went to, to school, I went to, to drama school, you know, and he became a doctor. But not only did he become a doctor, he decided that the people who had no insurance, the people who lived under the freeway, you know, needed care too. And he created this, found this place for people who had no, nobody else, you know. And he, they were treated there, it's called the Camillus House. And he's an amazing humanitarian, you know, it's this, this guy. And to watch him on the screen, I saw the, we went to see the screening of the documentary. And it's an amazing documentary. It's one of the great documentaries you'll ever see. The music is incredible. And the way it's done, and it's a history of Cuba. First, the beginning is, illuminates. Anybody who doesn't know the whole story or part of the story or anything, you're tremendously entertained by and horrified by the story of the revolution and Fidel and how he betrayed that the, the whole, you know, those people because he promised them this and he, and he gave them him only. <laughs> he gave them himself and his brother. And, and what's it called again? Cuba American. Cuba American. Thank you so much Thanks. for coming and doing our podcast. I don't know if Joey told you, but this is our 100th episode anniversary our 100th podcast the 100th podcast well, and so thank you well i'm gonna i'm gonna tweet about it you follow me on twitter at the steven bauer and uh i tweet every once in a while and it's mostly about the heat and the marlins and well there's certainly and, something uh, to tweet about the heat in this room I, today <laughs> holy cow thank you so very hot much thanks <laughs> man that was the bottom and i heart. and i'm it was great uh, great hearing your stories too Hey, bro thank you for inspiring me as thank a cuban i was going through hell as a young kid when i seen you Thanks. I it's knew my in my favorite. heart that if you could do it, I could fucking give it a try. Fuck well, these motherfuckers. <laughs> so I'm very proud of you, well, man. Good. Thank you very much That's for coming on the pleasure, podcast. Man. I'll come back. Absolutely. Well, Thank you. Have me back and we'll talk about it. when the football season's on. Because then we got to talk about the Dolphins. <laughs> By the way, if you've liked today's show, do us a big favor. In fact, you can do us a couple of big favors. The first one, if you're thinking about it and you're on iTunes, head over to Beauty and the Beast podcast and leave us a nice little review. The more reviews we get, uh, the higher we get on the hot list. Did you know that, Joey? I just heard about this shit last week. It's all fucking confusing. And if you got any emails for us, send it at beautyandthebeastpodcast at gmail.com.